Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. So does anybody recall what Paul has been writing to the Colossians about in the prior two chapters? So everyone gives praise. His ministry and then being alive in Christ is what he talks about in the last chapter. Yeah. So we have looked at um, going on to the Colossians and uh, he wrote it out of concern and love to the people to the Colossians uh, he knew about uh, he was addressing their um you know, what was going on with their, essentially their religions and what was going on before they accepted Christ and all the Greek and Roman gods and stuff that they were worshiping and um, also addressing the pressure that they had from the Jewish Christian community there of, you know, God having to follow the Sabbath and, you know, keep all these rules and regulations and be kosher and keeping holy days holy and all these things. And he's trying to boil it all down to, you guys aren't bound to either of those things. It's all about Jesus um, and what he commands you to do. And it's about love. So we'll just jump right into it. Um, does anyone want to start off reading uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4? We'll go through it little by little. I can do that. Go for it. 1 through 4? Yeah. Okay. And include the uh, little title as well. Okay. Living as those made alive in Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when then you also will appear with him in glory. Cool. Mine is titled, Living a New Life. Which I think after all that, he just... Describes is a pretty cool heading for what they put in here. Uh, but previously, the prior little section in chapter 2 was about freedom from rules and the new life in Christ. 
and now it's kind of like, all right, here's the, here's the practical Christian living. Here's here's what it's gonna look like to to live in this new life of being. You know, they talk about you've died with Christ and now you're resurrected with Christ. Uh, so now it's like, all right, here's what it'll look like for you guys. And so again, he's trying to um, give them understanding with practical living, practical Christian living, and building that on on truth, on theological truth, because they, you know, he had previously told them before, don't worry about like all this nonsense, you know, this high-sounding nonsense that all these other people are telling you guys. Like, don't follow those things. So now he's telling them what to, what the the you know the truth, what, what Jesus told them. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Four is pretty interesting. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. What is what does any what does any of this stuff mean? What's he talking about? I was wondering if, like, verse 4 was talking about, like, what, like the second coming of Christ. Because it was, like, one Christ who is in, who is our life shall appear, and shall ye also appear with him in glory. Like, is that talking, like, when he appears again, like, in, like, the flesh of the whole world, that's when he'll, then we will also go with him in glory? Or what is that, like, talking about? Any thoughts? You can also take it in a more, like, the more, so we've talked about this before here, but, like, the more that we, you know, John talks about this, and uh, John the Baptist, when they come up to him, they're like, yeah, well, like, he's kind of stealing some of your disciples, and he's like, he must become greater, I must become lesser, he must increase, I must decrease, uh, decrease, um, and you could also take it in that context, I feel like, where it's like, hey, as Christ, who is your life, the more that he shows up in you, and maybe I'm taking a little bit too much dramatic lessons, you know, feel free to cut me off, but like, um, as he appears more in you, you will also appear with him more, because you don't care as much about the things that like you used to care about, if that makes any sense, because you're putting on the new self, and the new self continues to desire God's desires more than what you would normally live. Yeah, and I think he's talking about the second coming here as well. I feel like three is saying, so, so your life is hidden. That's like your sin. Like your sin is covered with the blood of Christ. So if your life, the old life, is hidden in Christ, but then your new life is then appearing in verse four. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Yeah, like going with that, um, for verses 3 and 4 also, when it says, What is now hidden will one day be revealed. We cannot see now that Christ is enthroned at the right hand of God, and that we have been raised to new life with Christ. But by faith and obedience, we know that these things are true. When Christ returns in glory, his supremacy will be evident to all, and our relationship to him will be a direct experience. 
Oh. I also liked how the passion translates in trying to build something before. And it says, and, in, and as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. Mm-hmm. Which I really like. Kind of like the visual being like, you'll how he truly is, it finally appears, so will your true self as well. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. Because we were raised with Christ, we should act as Jesus did when he was resurrected. So how was how did Jesus act when he was resurrected? What did he do? How did he act? What what happened? Why did you take him to the garden afterwards? He's just like you're chilling around so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how someone perceived him, but how did he how did he act? He left the tomb. He told more people about his resurrection mm-hmm. and then gave like I don't know if it's all his disciples or all in that one. I forgot the room. But then Paul is some guy at a person's house. I don't know if it's all of them, but it was a lot so some of them. He was like, Hey, go out and tell the world about me. And like that this is your purpose. Mm-hmm. Your purpose is to pretty much tell the world about me and go off and do that. So I guess that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. He spent his time ministering to his disciples. And so should we. We should live our lives to be with and to serve one another like he did. And he left the tomb, and so should we, to not live where we were once dead, where we now have new life. That's where we should go. After his, resurre- after, his re- after his resurrection, Jesus also lived in supernatural power with the ability to do the impossible things. You know, he continued to heal people, and, uh, or continued to, to do miracles, and then he was you know, ascended um, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he would also disappear, which is really funny. Just, he'd just be like, oh, Jesus, how'd you get in here? It's like, dude, I just, I just defeated death. I can go through a door. Um, but uh, It's also interesting what he didn't do. Because what he did is amazing. But he didn't like hoop and holler, like, look at me, I'm back alive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like that's what some of our reactions would have been. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. It's like just throwing it out there. Yeah, I mean, if I just came back from the dead, I'd be like, bro, look at me. Like, I was just dead that yesterday. Was so <laughs> <totally wagon. laughs> so. No, righteous, actually. Oh, righteous. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> After his resurrection, Jesus also looked forward to heaven, knowing that he would soon ascend there. And so should we recognize that our citizenship is in heaven? Right? To, to look at life with a heavenly perspective. <clears throat> to have our eyes set on eternity. And he also wanted to be like a couple of things that came to Mary his second coming. Mm-hmm. Second like, Mary and Martha. And, he and Mary and Mary and Mary and Mary. And Mary. <laughs> <laughs> he told them, like, don't be afraid. Like, why are you crying? Which just sticks out to me because he's like legit fully come back and he still is like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that comforting mm-hmm. presence mm-hmm. Um, towards people that are like, holy crap. Like, wow, what just happened? You know? 
Anyone ever hear the expression like someone say and when someone's really like into something or really obsessed or like all into something, they'd be like, Oh, like sports is that guy's life or music is that guy's life or oh he lives for work or you know, this guy's all about that, right? Or this girl's all food is life. Food is life, clothing is life, like all these things, right? But here it's interesting, he says, When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. What does that mean when Christ who is your life? What does that mean that Christ is your life? Like everything you do from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, mm. every single aspect of your life is all of his. It's something to do with Jesus. Like when like he's your life. Everything you do. Mm. You don't just take him out of the box when you want him. Mm. You yeah. pull him out to show. I think also those people usually know those people. No one ever have to be like Wait, is that the guy who likes the Yankees? It's like, oh, he's the one always wearing the Yankees shirt and the Yankees hat, telling about how many World Series they won, and has the you know Yankees everywhere. You know, Red Sox fans, like especially Red Sox fans, they're yeah. they're loud and proud. If you're listening to this, you are loved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's called self-control. <laughs> no, I'm looking at Sox fans. For these people, even Yankees fans, they. Where am I going with this? <laughs> when, when, when Christ is your life, it's apparent. Yes. Like when someone who is a diehard fan of any sports team, musician, band, like clothing or lifestyle, they will make it known and they don't even have to like verbally tell you for, for you to know, right? Um, like it just comes up in conversation. It, you just know them as that person. And, and that's what it means for Christ to be your life. Like if, if someone's known you for a long time and you hear, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. It might be a little bit of a wake up call to be like, is Christ really my whole life if people have known me for for any period of time and don't know that as the, the first thing. When I was younger, I mean, I still have a lot of O's stuff in my wardrobe, but like when I was younger, like elementary school, I like basically only had Oreo shirts. Like that was all I wore. Like, hi, I'm Ben, I like the Oreos. Like, it was like loud and proud. It was, it was like part of who I am. Oh, who's Ben? Oh, he's a huge O's fan. You know, but now the main identifying factor is, hi, I'm Ben, I'm a child of God. You know, it's like, that's what, that's what it means for Christ, who is your whole life. Everything revolves around that. You eat, sleep, breathe it, live it out. You just want to tell everyone about it. Right? If, if someone is, if couponing is someone's life, you know, those shows like Extreme, extreme Couponers, like couponing is their life. Everyone who knows them is like, oh, that's, that's so-and-so. She's the Extreme Couponer. Like, that is her life. And there are people who have that, not always in the best way, but like, oh yeah, that's the, Jesus freak or you know whatever like which is a good thing to be a Jesus freak but you know there's people who do it in the wrong way sometimes bring about that wrong reputation but anyway Christ who is your whole life that's and then you can share in his all in all his glory verse 5 so we want to take 5 through 11 I'll get it therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all of the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Awesome. So what's he saying here? What's the message? What's the what's he trying to get across? these things and your life was still part of this world but now it's time to get rid of this and it goes into more things anger and rage and malice and behavior slander dirty <coughs> language and you know he lists he lists the other areas too so he kind of lists it, it kind of looks like you know two different lists of stuff that he's telling you to to get rid of first part is sexual morality impurity lust evil desires they all have a common theme there. He goes into greed, idolatry, worshiping the things of this world. That kind of all has the same thing theme right there. And then he goes into anger, rage, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Which interestingly enough, like those ones are all pretty much about the um, you know your attitude towards other people. Which we'll get into that in a little bit. Anyone else? Any other thoughts so, so far on that section? I also think that the second category, like you just said, has to do with our attitude towards other people. I think it also has to do with our tongue and controlling our tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that part is a lot of exactly controlling your tongue and you know that's also talked about in James 126 like a whole section about how difficult it is to control the tongue uh, I think he even says in that area like it's easier to tame a lion than control your than to you know tame your tongue
knowing what this life is about, mm-hmm. right? We have to learn it. That's why the Bible, you know, that's why we read what we read in here is to know who God is. And this, that's one way that we can learn to know him. Like the, you know, the main way, biggest way that we can learn to know him um, is, is reading this. And so, but we have to do it. Like the more that we, the closer and the more we learn to know him, the creator, the more renewal we earn and the easier it becomes to put on that new nature. Like it's all together. And then the, the end result of that is what? <coughs> become like him. Like that is a natural byproduct of doing the work to know him, like really know him and allow him to renew you. Is you, you can't, you're not going to help it but to look like him the more you do that. And I think that promise is really good for anybody, whether you're a new believer who's like, struggling with trying to figure out like how how do I do this thing? Where do I start? Like, well, one piece of advice, like one place you can start is just learning to know who he is. Learn like understanding who Jesus was. What did he come to do? Like who is God? What did he do? He is the creator. What does that mean? Like actually asking the questions and letting it sink into you. Like letting it do its work because it's going to do it um, but you play a part in how much you receive from that so that I really I love this song yeah my my favorite bible verse is 2 Corinthians 5 17 which is about being a new creation right anyone who is in Christ is a new creation the old is gone the new has come and that, you know, it goes hand in hand with this as, as far as to, like, let go of, not even let go. He's saying, put to death in verse 5. Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. And that word, uh, put to death, um, I won't even try, I'll try to pronounce it. Necrostop, um, the original word, means to literally to make dead. And it, a strong phrase essentially saying to... It's not just to suppress or to try to control, you know, evil acts and um, attitudes. It's like wipe it out, completely exterminate the old way of life. Have nothing to do with it. And he's saying like instead, like put on your new nature. Be renewed as you, exactly like you said, Jackie, learn to know your creator and become like him. Not a, it's not a one and done thing. How to do this? And it's okay. Like, I just take, I take so much peace in that, and knowing that, like, there's, this is a journey that I'm on with him. Like, I'm not, he's not expecting perfection from me right now. He loves me as much today as he did when I wasn't a believer, and I am learning how to do this. Mm-hmm. he's very clear in saying like put this oh, this um, old stuff and put these things that doesn't please me to death that's like the ultimate goal and he's so nice to say that like hey just to remind you this is how 
you used to be when you took that step to like follow me um and things like that and i love that this whole thing here also is like he's giving us instructions but he doesn't give us a deadline mm -hmm. um he gives us grace to each day start to evaluate ourselves from head to toe like okay so where do i need to start is it something that i'm wearing on my head every day that is not pleasing to god or i'm gonna take off this hat or whatever maybe um something else the way that you do your makeup or something that's just not pleasing and then go on from there is this something that i'm wearing on my chest every day um that even something as <laughs> simple as i've seen a shirt that says i love jesus but i cuss a little it's like, hmm, how can you, like, love Jesus and you cuss a little? But, like, <laughs> sure, you can say, you know, the bad words and whatever. And we all do. I've said it when I get mad and all that. Guilty as charged. But, um, <laughs> like, those little things got to evaluate and start to, like, remove it. But it's so great to know that, like, God didn't say, oh, you accepted me today? Cool. So tomorrow you're going to put all those things to death and you're just gonna be awesome and like almost as perfect as me and just expect us to change like that um so i love that it's a process like um jackie was saying the whole learning thing every day we learn and start to peel those things that doesn't please god but he he's so gracious that if we even go back to some of those habits or whatever he's not like ah, i told you so young you know he's like no it's okay here just just sit on my lap <laughs> and, and like it's kind of like what you both like those who like choose like the new self it doesn't go unnoticed to others like you said like when people see you they should see christ and like just the other day i was at work like vendor thing and one of my supervisors we while the other people were um attending to the people we just were walking around and she said so she's like i'm gonna ask you like I remember you said, like, the other day, you, like, don't, like, because everyone at work but me cusses, um, like, sailors, <laughs> um, and, um, she's like, I noticed that, like, you, you don't, you don't curse, and, um, I remember you saying that, and they, like, and she noticed enough to, like, do you, like, do you care if I cuss, like, I, she's like, I just want to, like, be conscious of, like, that, so, like, just the little bits of, like, even me just, like, saying, like, yeah, I don't choose to curse, like, because I've even said, like, um, Frickin' or something, and then they're like, oh, they said, oh, I said effin', and then they was like, oh, they said effin', I was like, no, they actually said the word, I just don't curse, they're like, oh, <laughs> um, and so, like, just, like, it, like, a little light bulb went off in their head, it's like, hmm, um, kind of thing, and then it came back up in conversation, I'm like, why don't you, um, curse, and, like, those types of things, so, like, it doesn't go unnoticed. Yeah, for sure, yeah, people notice those things, it's, it may not seem like it, but those little things, it's, it's like, like what you wear, people notice. You know, if you're if you wear something bright pink, people are like, "Wow, that's bright pink." Whether they comment on it, they'll, like they'll notice. Um, or if like you wear something that's just like a shirt that says, you know, whatever, people are like, "Whoa, you see that shirt?" It's like um, whether it's good or bad. Um, I totally did not realize you were wearing pink as I said that. So I, it's just not, that's not bright pink. I just realized that right after I said that. I was like, okay. What about Garrett? The words, the words behind it. Very clever. <laughs> um, but you know when you're when you're um, 
you're, you're essentially, after all of this, you know, whether you're going to put to death or not, you're left with, you know, every Christian is faced with the question, who will I identify with? Am I going to identify with the world or identify with Jesus? Am I going to identify with my old nature or the, the new creation? And I say this is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. It says Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. For those of us he's speaking to are the, the people of the church who have accepted him. Ben, I like your point about how strongly worded it is to like put it to death mm -hmm. and not just kind of try and fight or suppress it try to suppress sin or just bottle it up or resist it like you there's no hope like you will be so hopeless and destitute because I mean like the reason we struggle with sin so much is we love it but like the good news of Jesus and the gospel is like all you need to overcome that is to love something else more so learn as much as you can about God, like get to know Jesus and you'll love him and just cultivate that and you'll starve the sin and put it to death by you know, yeah. loving Jesus more. Good analogy. You know, if you have to if you have to start every day with, Oh, I can't be angry, cuss, lust, greedy today. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And fornication. Put to death, yeah. yeah. Which I don't see that's what confuses me sometimes. It's like the members, it's on like your own members or like mortify people on the face. Let's look at uh, let's go do twelve through sixteen. Who wants to take that?
this was an expectation. I expect you to clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, which follows along with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? But um, that is his expectation for us as believers, and that can be very difficult at times, especially when we talk about difficult people, which is why I love the next verse. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord So I, I think, I want to point this out. Uh, all these things that you must clothe yourself with. Uh, to be as holy people. Or since God chose you to be as holy people, this is what you must do. You must have tenderhearted mercy. Are you giving tenderhearted mercy to other people or to God? People. Kindness. Do you have to show kindness to people or to God? You have to show humility to people or to God? Okay. Yourself and people. What about gentleness? What about patience? Well, I think these are characteristics that we have to exemplify in all aspects of our life. These are characteristics, these are changes that happen to us, not, not doesn't say be kind to other people. He says put on kindness. Like almost become that. Not as a, as opposed to like, you know, be kind, which is an action. He's saying like, you know, become kind, if that makes any sense. Um, so then it would it should infect every aspect of your life, whether that be your relationship with man or your relationship with God. Sorry to cut you off there. No, you're fine. Yeah, I was going to show that that each of these qualities, and yeah, there there are some I think that you can kind of look at as like you know we can show we have to be patient with God, but I think you know that's it's different than being patient with people, or being patient with people is you know allowing them a chance or whatever. Where being patient with God is really more so like our attitude of like fine, I can wait for God's timing over what I want. Bearing um, with one another. Right, but all of these all of these qualities mentioned in, in that specific path passage express themselves in relationships. A significant measure of our Christian life is found simply in how we treat people and the quality of our relationships with them. I think that's, that's just, this is still all part of living the new life. You can't live the new life if you're only loving God. That's only half the command. Love God, love people. That's what the, this entire word of God is boiled down to, those four words. Love God, love people. In that order. If you love God, you're going to love people. So really all boils down to just love God. But you show that through your love of people as well. Because you're only going to love others, even those who are the unlovables, right? Those who don't deserve it. You're going to need all these things. You're going to need to be equipped with all these things. 
compare these two things, the things he's telling us to get rid of and the things he's telling us to clothe us, ourselves with, you've got in comparison, get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Well, if you have tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, you can't have them both at the same time. You can't be angry and patient at the same time with someone. You can't have rage and malice behavior, but also be kind and tender-hearted and mercy to them, right? They, they're just, they don't go hand in hand. You gotta get rid of one and have the other. Identify with these ones or identify with those ones? With Christ or with the world? I think verse 17 kind of boils down a lot, a big chunk of the, uh, the ungodly and the godly things, where, where just verse 17 Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I think just it's just having a conscious mind like that when it was talking about um, verse seven where it says, In which in the which ye also walk sometime ye when ye lived in them. So it's like it's having that conscious thought like you no longer live in it. You're still gonna you're gonna mess up, you're human. We're not the best kind of people for trying to follow perfectly to God's word, even when you look through history on that. Even through the people that God chose in the Bible, those people still messed up countless times, yet God still chose those people for a specific reason, and he still loves them. So I think that's what verse 17 is really getting across is just being conscious of everything you say and everything you do and not trying to live the way you used to probably shouldn't have said that or like just don't go through like just like you said earlier like don't just keep the keep it in a box and then when you need it pop it out it's like throughout your whole day just everything you do mm-hmm. just thank god yeah that's good what's an umpire an umpire anyone know what an umpire is a referee for baseball mm-hmm. no referee for baseball What's an umpire do? Um, what is it? What's a referee do? What's an umpire do? It makes the calls. Makes the calls. Enforces the rules. Same, yeah. <laughs> Strike. Ball. Safe. Out. Right. You're watching the game to make bad calls. You 
Yeah. <laughs> they're supposed to know the word. They're supposed to know the law and then enforce that law in the yeah. game. So it's it's, it's supposed to. it's um to rule or to make the decision, mm-hmm. right? Verse fifteen, it says, "And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts." You break down what the the, the original word for rule says. Rabbeus, probably mispronouncing it like usual with these Greek and Hebrew words and stuff. But it translates to umpire, which isn't just a baseball term, but it's to to rule over, to to rule, to make the call, make the decision. That's just me. I had that as a note in my Bible from I don't know when, at some point in time when I saw that, and I was like, that's cool because I like baseball. <laughs> but to put that into practical living. Let the peace of Christ judge, decide, and govern in your heart. And the umpire, or judge, referee, right? As they do like in sports and contests. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule over every decision in your life. That's what it's really boiling down to. It's like trying to understand like whether or not that was right or wrong. Like, and like inside your head, like sometimes like even me, I struggle with like, God talking to me, or is this like God trying to tell me something, or is this like Satan, or is this me, or is this someone? Like, what is going on? Like, there's so many voices, mm-hmm. and I feel like sometimes it's like that. God's probably not the one putting a thousand voices in your head and pulling you in every direction. Like in here, it's a, it's that peace, wherever that that small, still voice, that that peaceful voice that is trying to lead you in a more peaceful way. It's probably going to be God, not the guy screaming over everyone else, trying to hey, look at me, look at me. from God, mm-hmm. like, you you want to be able to test that against, like, okay, I have peace in this situation, and that's great, but is this also align, in alignment with God's character, with what I know his promises are, with what I know, like, is it wise, is it, is it just, is it loving, is it true, you know, all of those things, mm-hmm. like, there are more tests that should be underlying just just saying I have peace over something is not enough at mm-hmm. times. Like you want the peace to be a guard, but we I think we can use that as a rationalization of our own actions at times. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have yeah. peace about this, so I'm okay. It's there is more nuance yeah. to it that I think we definitely need to be like in prayer and in, over whatever those big decisions are or small decisions mm-hmm. even is, but. Um, just like peace can't be the only thing because peace can be varied together. That's a good point. Today, being September 11th, you know, like 22 years ago, people had peace and knowing and thinking of what they were doing was, you know, people do extreme things in the name of God or Allah and, you know, they do things like 
this is what God wants, and I'm gonna do what God wants, and to kill these people because they're these people, and you know, people have peace in their hearts over doing certain things. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's good. That's good that you know. When you're in a relationship with God and you know who God is and you are in His Word and you understand His will and you're close with God, that kind of peace, when you have that peace and, and you can back it up with what you know in His Word, that's a good indication. And if it doesn't contradict His Word in any way. Yeah. That's why you also need verse 16. <laughs> For what the Word of Christ fulfills all truly in you, wisdom and teaching. Yeah. And then I think, I, I think it does come back to knowing just the character and nature of God, right? Because he talks about, like, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? So, like, in in the context that Jackie gave, right, saying, like, I want to leave my wife in the name of Jesus. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't, that doesn't jive. It goes to what you're talking about. Um, and, like, you can't be like, I'm going to flip this driver off in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> splash this homeless man in the name of Jesus like whatever you want to give like you can't come up with that it doesn't work like that um, and so that comes back to just knowing the character and nature of who God is yeah. verse 17 reminds me of I think it's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song do everything where it's like and everything you do do it to the glory of God and it's like whether you're flipping up burgers or like or hooking up like mer mergers you know like you got the lowest of the low flipping a burger or Merging these giant companies, and they give other examples. And if you're doing this, or if you're doing that, like do it all to the glory of God. Um, if you haven't heard it, I'll play it later. Anyway, um, let's move on. Let's finish out um, chapter three, verses eighteen through the end, and then also verse one of chapter four, because that's all the same thought right there. What's that? I got it. Go for it. Wives, submit to your husbands. <coughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who, who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for many. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Awesome. So, let me read, let, let me say what this does not say. And I'm only speaking to one person because, as far as I know, no one else in here is married yet. <laughs> but what this does not say is, wives, do everything your husband tells you to do. Right? That's not what submission is. So I found a few, a few quotes that I think really sum up the, the idea behind this all. The idea of submission does not have anything to do with someone being smarter or better or more talented. It has to do with a God-appointed order. Anyone who has ever served in the armed forces knows that a rank has to do with the order and authority, not with value and ability. Um, the, 
the, the you know how it's worded here about submission shows that submission is to be voluntary. The wife's submission is never to be forced on her by demanding by a demanding husband. It's the it is the respect of a, that the loving wife consciously has that her home must have a head, just as in any institution. This defines the sphere of a, of a wife's submission to her own husband. The Bible never commands nor recommends a general submission of women unto men. It's commanded only in the realm of in the home and in the church. God does not command that men have ex exclusive authority in the areas of politics, business, education, and so on. So again, it's about submission. When you're submitting to, it's a voluntary act of saying, I will let you lead, you know, and I'll follow. Now, I'm going to read a little more about some of this. As is fitting in the Lord, right? So that's where it says in verse, uh, help me out, 18? Yes, yeah, 18 in the beginning. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to those who belong to the Lord. That phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, it can be taken wrong both ways. And I'll, I'll read, uh, I think it's pretty well laid out here. The first way is the interpretation that favor, uh, that favors the husband is that as fitting in the Lord means that a wife should submit her to a husband as if he were God himself. The idea is you submit to God in absolutely everything without question, so you must submit to your husband in the same way, in the same absolute way. This thinks uh, that as is fitting to, in the Lord defines the extent of submission, but this is wrong. Simply put, in no place does the scripture say that a person, person should submit to another in that way. There are limits to the submission um, with your employer that you can expect. That your employer, what? Hold on. There are limits to the submission your employer can expect of you. There are limits to the submission the government can expect of you. There are limits to the submission parents can expect of children. In no place does scripture teach an unqualified, without exception, submission, except for submitting to God and God alone. To violate this is to commit the sin of idolatry. So it's saying one way that can be wrongly interpreted of as fitting as the Lord means do everything because the husband says it. Like, that's wrong. And the other side of it, uh, the interpretation that favors the wife would be saying that as fitting in the Lord means I'll submit to him as long as he does what the Lord wants. And then when the wife's job, and then it's the wife's job to decide what the Lord wants. This thinks that as fitting in the Lord defines the limit of submission which is also wrong. It's true that there are limits to wife submission, and then and when the wife approaches as fitting as the Lord, in this way, it leaves them to say, I'll submit to my husband when I agree with him, and I'll submit to him when he makes the right decisions, if he does it the right way. But when he makes a wrong decision, he isn't in the Lord, so I shouldn't submit to him then, because it's not fitting to do so. Simply put, that is not submission at all. Except for those who are just argumentative, everyone submits to others when they're in agreement. It's not only when they're in disagreement. It's only when there's disagreement that submission is tested. Mm -hmm. Hope that made sense. Those are the kind of the, 
the two wrongly misinterpreted ways of what that phrase means, as is fitting in the Lord. It doesn't mean do everything because the husband says it, and it doesn't mean, oh, I'll pick and choose what's fitting in the Lord. Right? As fitting the Lord does not define the extent of a wife's submission. It does not define the limit of a wife's submission. It defines the motive of a wife's submission. It means, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands because it's part of your duty to the Lord, because it's an expression of your submission to the Lord. It's simply submit, submit simply because it's fitting in the Lord to do so. It honors God's word and his order of authority. It's part of their Christian duty and discipleship. So you look at military ranking, right? You got the lowest of the low is what? Private, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? Private, and then, you know, work your way up, you know, <coughs> general, captain, corporal. I don't know if there's an order, but, you know, the lowest of the low doesn't say, you told me to do this? That's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it this way instead. That's not submission. That's not how order and authority works. You don't just get to pick and choose. Well, this one's stupid, so I'm not going to follow that. No, you submit and you follow them. However, where submission isn't submission is if it's like, all right, go um, go kill that person. Submit to me and go go do this. Go commit this crime. Go have adultery. Go like do all these things. That's not submission. That's just sin and idolatry. comments, questions. I know that was a lot of reading of... I really like verse 18 specifically for being about to be a wife. Because, like, I feel like nothing can truly prepare you to be a wife, even when you are a wife. So, like, just from, like, this thing saying, like, like for mine, it says, let every wife be supportive and tenderly devoted to her husband. For this is a beautiful illustration for our devotion. Like, the fact that it's, like, an illustration of being submitted to your husband illustrates how your relationship with is with God. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps me because it's like when you're devoting yourself to your husband, it's also like this is it shows you kind of how like your relationship with God, like how close it is or if you're far away from God. Like we learned from our counseling, it was like if you're far away from God, then you're far away from your husband. It kind of shows them like that aspect like if you're being like really rude or very rough with or whatever with your significant other then that's probably how your relationship with God is and I think it kind of I mean there's some days obviously I'm like I don't want to do this but like it's like kind of like it kind of gives you like that reality check like oh if I'm acting this way towards him how am I acting towards God like this the like beautiful illustration that really helps and I think with like the submission it's like you can't really pick and choose because even the, your relation with God isn't easy. So why would your relationship with a worldly, like a worldly man, be easy? You know. So like, with God, it's like you have to always work at the relationship. You have to put energy into it. You have to choose to do it every day. And I feel like that's the same with a husband. I mean, with God, He's perfect, so the husband's not. But either way, even though God is perfect, you still have to work at that relationship. Mm-hmm. So you have to put even more work into your worldly relationship. So I just really liked how it said, like, an illustration of our devotion of Christ. Because it really helped, like, I like images and, like, visuals and stuff. So just seeing that, I thought it was really nice. And I also like how this kind of goes with wife, but it also goes, but your, like, the husband's like, you also have to do this for your wife. It's not just speaking on one person. And I also do like how it went to the children 
And then it was like, but then also the parents, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like how it was like wife, but also husband and then kids, but also parents. So it kind of breaks down like the main family, Mm -hmm. I guess. Cause like for someone who like wants to have children, it's like, well, how do you raise them? Like, what if I do it wrong? But it's like the Bible's like, don't have unrealistic expectations for them that you wouldn't have for yourself. Yeah. Which I think is really, really relevant. That's good. And then we also have on the other side here, you know, like people, you know, always like to just pick out that one line, wives, submit to your husbands. Do what I said, right? But husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. You know, and there's that whole other side. It's not just, okay, sure, they're going to submit to you, but that doesn't mean they're going to do everything you want them to do. It doesn't mean I'll just sit here and act like a king. You do everything for me. You cook, you clean, you do this, you do that, take care of the kids, and just be in submission to me. Like, that's not submission. That's dictatorship. And that's not what he's saying here. And husbands, love your wives. Never treat them harshly. There's a whole other responsibility there for the husbands of what to do. If you're loving your wives, they're not going to be in an un, um, unwilling submission. You know, submission has to be a voluntary thing. And if the husband is loving their wives, there's not going to be this conflict because he's doing everything in love and is also making sacrifices and um, you know, for each other's sake. And then we have, again, for the children, to obey your parents. And again, people could take this and be like, hey, kids, you have to obey me. Do what I said. God said so. Right? But that's not what it's saying. It's, um, this pleases the Lord. In the same way, we're children of God. We're not just doing what God said because he is the Father because I said so. Right? It's, be, it's out of, it's out of um, pleasing the Lord because they know what's best for us. Fathers, don't aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged. Fathers, mothers, right? Don't aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged. Everybody has a responsibility here. The husband, the wife, the children, the the parents, right? And what does it all boil down to? What we all had up there earlier, right? Clothing yourselves with all these things. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Right? It all comes down to love. Above all, clothe clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Verse 14 kind of sums it all up. Clothe yourself in love. And with that, the wives will submit to the husbands. The husbands will treat the wives properly. The children will obey. The parents won't aggravate. And it's a beautiful, happy family, right? I feel like you can always sense when someone in the house is off. So, like, for instance, if every day in the house, like, the husband comes home and he, like, is angry, I feel like it always just sets off the mood for, like, the kids and the wife. Mm -hmm. And vice versa, like, if the wife has a rough day at work, I feel like the husband's like, oh, there's something wrong. And then it kind of, like, the kids are like, oh, what's wrong with mom? Or, like, if the kids have a rough day at school, they kind of take it out on everyone else because they don't really know what to do. So I feel like not every day is going to be perfect of being clothed in that love, but I feel like having that energy, like, trying to have that love every day kind of helps with keeping everyone, like, not in line but having like the same kind of energy and not negative energy but more of like a positive loving environment that everyone's excited to go home to every day instead of like oh well, um, dad's been home every day this week he gets angry so I'm afraid for when he comes home because mm-hmm. the energy's going to switch type thing yeah. any final thoughts on anything here um, just as a I can send it in the chat later but me being me I live through songs 
um, and like this this whole topic about being um, made alive in Christ and like like being that image that other people can see and then know that you are um, a follower of Christ. Um, it it makes me think of the song by um, River Valley Worship and it's called to be like Christ and um, like kind of like the verse like what this first verse is like in my life God break the mold like God. I don't want the mold of like what the world wants me to be. I want to break that. I want to like be like you. Um, and, um, and then the chorus is all I want is to be like Christ, to be like Christ, heart and soul every day, more and more defined as your love refines my life. And, um, what really gets me is the, um, the bridge. And it says the only one I'll imitate the one who gave his life for me. I owe it all to you. Jesus, only you. No matter what this life will bring, come blessing or come suffering, I've counted up the cost and Jesus, you're enough. And so like, like we're, we're, we're going to suffer for Christ. Like we're going to, we choose to be different and then people aren't going to like us for it. And like just every day choosing to be bold for Christ, no matter what comes our way. Um, and just truly like embracing that life so that other people can see it and like like I've I've had that song on my playlist for like months now and then like just as we've been unpacking this I was like man like that's something like I want to try to be better um kind of thing and I can send it in the chat too if anyone wants to listen to it but it's been a real encouragement for me and now so even more now that we've unpacked this a little bit Stuff, guys. Uh, well, next week we will finish off Colossians. It's a short book, so we'll finish off chapter four. All right, I'll pray and then we'll split for a little bit. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your living word that speaks to us. Thank you for giving us instructions of how to live a godly life, how to um, live this new life in you. Thank you for laying it out for us of the do's and the don'ts, of what to wear and what not to wear, of how to clothe ourselves and what to, to get rid of, um, for, for how to treat others. Help us to go about each day um, with an intentional mindset of putting on these things, of putting on tenderhearted mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and above all else, love. Help us to be clothed with your love. Not a love that, that we try to generate from ourselves of what we think love should look like, but help us to duplicate what you have shown us to be able to show that to others. And let that be known to others around us. Let them be able to see us and say, you look different. You, you speak different. You act different. Help them to see a difference in us because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be set apart and holy like you. Thank you, God, for your word, for everyone here, and uh, pray all this in Jesus' name. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it, and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.